Welcome to the Preaching and Leadership Podcast. This is the place where you will get practical, actionable help on how you can preach and lead better. Our ministry partner for this episode is ministrydeal.com. They have a great product that I'm excited to tell you about. It's called 52 Giving Scripts, and that's just what it is, 52 Giving Scripts. You can say goodbye to last-minute offering talks with this product. Use this resource to plan ahead, allow others to be involved so you don't have to do it every Sunday. What am I talking about? The offering talk. Just follow the script, make it their own. Use giving scripts so you can make your giving time more effective and efficient than ever before. And here's what's going to happen, I believe, when you use these giving scripts. Because you're putting more of an emphasis on giving, your giving will increase. God will honor that focus. So to learn more, go to rookiepreacher.com slash giving. That's rookiepreacher.com slash giving. Disney screenwriter Christopher Vogler in the late 1980s found a work by Joseph Campbell called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. It was in this work that Campbell proposed that all stories share a fundamental structure, which he called the monomyth. When Vogler discovered Campbell's work, he sent out a company memo to all other Disney screenwriters where he explained that they should retell the story that Campbell explained was present in all major stories as many times as they could. The story they would tell and retell eventually became known as the hero myth. But little did they know that the hero myth is a type of a bigger story. Today, on the Preaching and Leadership Podcast, we're talking about structuring our sermons like a story, because all major stories follow the same structure as God's story, the one he's been writing from day one. I believe you should structure your sermon like a story. Because, I mean, think about it. No matter how old we get, we will always love a good story. It's the reason we go to the movies. It's the reason why we have subscriptions on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and YouTube Red and all those. It's the reason we love good novels and great narrative nonfiction. It's why we love biographies. It's why we love listening to Grandpa tell a story around the campfire. We all love good stories. I don't really know anyone who doesn't love a good story. And the thing is, as we talked about already, this this idea of a hero myth, it follows every story is pretty much structured in the same similar ways. If you understand story, you can kind of expect what to see in a story or in a show or in a movie. We kind of see it before it comes. And every now and again, they'll break the rules and, you know, surprise us. But before we dive into how we can structure our sermon like a story, I want to dive into the 12 parts to the hero myth because that's a really big part of what storytelling is all about. So we're going to dive into this. There's 12 parts to the hero myth. I encourage you to go to rookiepreacher.com forward slash PLP5 and you'll be able to see the show notes uh, where there will be a link to these 12 parts and I may just kind of include it in there. So number one, there's 12 parts, but number one is the ordinary world. 
This is where the hero's normal world kind of before the story begins. This is where they're just kind of regular. They've got the normal things going on. Nothing really is happening that's really exciting to tell a story about. But then number two happens. It's the call to adventure. This is when the hero is presented with a problem, a challenge, or an adventure. And so there's a there's a moment where they have this calling and then number three happens, there's a refusal of the call where the hero refuses the challenge or journey, usually because they're scared or, or they're wounded by previous experiences in some way. But then happens, they meet with a mentor. This is where the hero meets the mentor that gains, that where they can gain advice where they begin training for the adventure. I mean, if, you, if you're a Star Wars fan, this is textbook hero myth structure. Number five is the crossing the first threshold. This is where the hero leaves the ordinary world and goes into the special world, the special circumstances, and this is where the, the, the story starts to get really good. Then it goes to tests, alliance, or allies and enemies. This is where the hero faces tests. They meet some allies and they also confront enemies and they really learn the rules of this special world that they're in now. Then next is number seven. That is the approach. This is where the hero has setbacks during tests and may need to try a new idea. This is where they got to go back to the drawing board and figure this out because what is a good story without some tension, right? Number eight is ordeal. This is where the biggest life or death crisis happens. And then number nine is the reward. This is where the hero has survived death. They overcome their fear and now they earn the reward. And then number 10 is the road back where the hero must return to the ordinary world back to kind of normal everyday life. And 11 is the resurrection hero where another test where the hero faces death. He has to use everything he's learned. And then number 12, return with the elixir. The hero returns from the journey with the elixir and uses it to help everyone in the ordinary world. Now, Campbell believed that all myths contain at least most of the above stages. Um, there was really only a few that have them all, but all have many or most of them. So I've actually got a link in here, uh, again, rookiepreacher.com forward slash PLP5, where you can see how the hero myth structure um, is really telling the story of the story of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, how that uh, God's redemptive plan is the real hero myth uh, in existence. And so you could definitely check that out. It's pretty cool. Uh, now, am I advocating that we write down these 12 pieces and fit our sermons into them? No, that's not the point at all. But my point is, is that uh, in every sermon, we are we we get to take the congregation on a journey of discovering how God's word intersects and informs their lives here and now. So, what we're going to do in doing this, we're help them see how God has been at work and is still working in this world. We are showing them the grand narrative, the grand story of the Bible, and how we fit into it. So, if we are inherently telling a story when we are preaching. That is, if we were preaching the gospel every time, placing whatever text we're talking about into the grand context and the grand narrative, grand story of Scripture, then we then shouldn't we be intentional, right, about telling that story in the best 
possible way. Here's what I mean. If we all love stories, and if we are telling the story that God's Word is telling, then shouldn't we structure our sermons in a way that leverages the elements of storytelling so that every sermon, no matter the passage, is written and delivered in a way that reminds us of a story? Well, if you want to preach sticky sermons, if you want to preach memorable sermons, if you want to preach sermons where people not only walk away with your very cute story and anecdote about your dog, but they actually walk away with the truth of God's word, then I think we should give this a shot. At least consider it. So, just like you, I'm a student student of the craft of preaching. And uh, I believe it might have been during a free webinar by Jeff Henderson that started me down the track of kind of structuring my sermons and thinking about my stru- sermons in this way. Um, but it's, it's really given me a framework that I now follow for every sermon. It's where we get the the book Preaching Sticky Sermons, a very uh, big part of that book. Highly recommend you check that out. Um, I believe it's really good. Uh, I'm a little biased, but I do believe it's going to be helpful to you, Preaching Sticky Sermons. And it's where we also, we dive a ton into this in our course, Sticky Sermons Academy, which you can jump into the the waiting list uh, at stickysermons.academy. Just go www.stickysermons.academy. But anyway, let's dive in. Let's jump in. Part one, if, if we want to actually st- structure our sorm- sermons like a story, part one is is here we want to engage the congregation congregation with some kind of story that describes some kind of common experience we have in life. Within the first five minutes, We want to get the congregation to lean in because they're trying to decide whether or not your sermon uh, will be relevant for them. And if we can establish some common ground, we can get some laughs, we can speak to a deep desire or all of that at the same time, that'd be great. We are engaging the congregation to the point where they are going to be hooked into the story that is starting to be told. And, And next, let's do something that TV shows are usually really good at. That's why we binge watch them. Uh, Part two is here we want to build tension into the storyline. Again, if we're thinking about our sermon like a storyline, this is where we're going to be building in some tension. This is where the the hero is going to have an opportunity, right, to be confronted with some kind of adventure and what they have to decide whether or not they're going to dive into it. So if the first part has them leaning in, the second part will have them really wanting to get to the next part because that's where the story arc reaches its climax. And really, Jesus did this in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about the Beatitudes and, and how his listeners would have heard them initially. I don't, I don't know that we think about this often, but like, who, who doesn't want to be blessed, right? <laughs> no, nah, I don't want to be blessed. No, don't, don't want to do that. But then he began saying all these interesting statements that surely like had them wanting more of an explanation. Like, what? how in the world could the meek inherit the earth? That's just not what we're seeing, right? Like, that's not, we're not seeing that in the world. See, there's a reason why TV shows end with tension. It's to build anticipation for the tension to be resolved in the next episode. And that's why also TV shows start with tension and then they seek to resolve it throughout the 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 episode. I mean, it's really just a continual repetitive cycle of tension creating and tension resolving. And in a similar way, building tension in the sermon is a way to get us to lean into the most important part of the sermon, which is part three, and is here we want to dive into the truth of God's word. This is we're going to park here for the majority of the, of the sermon. Okay, this is where we're going to show the congregation what God has to say and what God is doing in the story of life. This is where we're going to be spending time doing good exegesis of the text and help the congregation to place themselves into 
the situation of the text. It's, it's one thing to know what it was like for some people we've never met who lived thousands of years ago, but it's another thing to describe their situation in a way that is easy for us to then say, imagine if we were them, and then help them consider what it would have been like back then. This is really, you know, thinking about, thinking about the hero myth, this is where the hero goes into this other world. So when we are, are opening up God's word, we are taking our congreg- congregation to this other world and considering what, what that means, what we're going to navigate through that. And really, this is the climax of the story arc right here in the truth of the text. So once they are rooted in the truth of God's word, we can move to the next part. And before we do that, I just want to really emphasize this. Some people may mistake our like this way of doing sermons, way of structuring sermons, as if it's to only like engage with felt needs. That's not the goal at all. The goal is always to um, do our best in taking God's word, God's truth, the gospel of Jesus, and implanting that into the hearts and the minds and uh, the souls of the people in our congregation, the people who are visiting, everyone. And so the, we, we structure this in a way so that the truth of the text, and this is something you cannot miss when we're talking about how we structure our sermons like a story. It's not just so that people would like like your sermons. It's not about that. It's about having the truth of God's word be embedded in their mind, in their heart, in their soul. Part four is right after we, we, we've expounded on the text. Now, part four, here we want to expose the application of God's truth for us here and now. So if we practice good hermeneutics in part three, then part four will naturally follow. When we consider what the author of the text meant originally, what it was like for the original recipients to receive that text, and how we relate to them today, we can move to answering the question, what about now? And we want to keep this fairly broad in explanation. In other words, cast the net wide here. We can address the stages of life that are represented in the congregation. How does it apply to each of them? Is it different depending on their stage? All those things, and I'll have a a link in the show notes talking about different stages of life. There's like 20 some of them that identified in this uh, that we should be having like on the forefront of our minds when we're preparing our messages and when we're preaching them. Now, the next two parts are interchangeable in order uh, depending on how you want to end the sermon. So part five, and again, part five and six can switch. Part five, here's where we are going to like help the congregation imagine a future where this application is lived out. And this will inspire action that is rooted in God's word. You can tell a quick story of what this looks like when it is lived out. You could give a scenario where the application is lived out and then tell what the result could be. Now, part six, this is where we want to help the congregation take action in light of the truth and application because this is where the rubber meets the road right here because you'll want to get very specific in the call that call to action that you give. Sometimes you'll want to give two calls to action. What I usually do is I'll give a call to action for those who are Christ followers and one for those who are not. Because the thing about structuring a sermon like a story is that we do not want the story to end on Sunday or whenever your church meets. We don't want it to end there. We want them to continue that story when they leave. Now, what is this sermon structure really do? Well, when we write sermons that follow the structure, we write sermons that stick with the congregation. 
They are inherently organized like a story, and that's a structure that we are all familiar with, so it's easy for them to remember what it is that you said. Well, that'll do it for another episode of the Preaching and Leadership Podcast. Thanks again for joining me and listening here. If you ever have an idea of something you want me to address in an episode, I would encourage you, email me at brandon at rookiepreacher.com. That's brandon at rookiepreacher.com. Big thanks to our ministry partner for this episode, ministrydeal.com with their 52 giving scripts. If you're interested in getting those or checking them out, just go to rookiepreacher.com forward slash giving. Don't miss next week's episode. We're going to be talking about what is required to grow a church, and that is courageous leadership. We're going to dive right into courageous leadership. So don't miss it. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.